Hello and welcome back to the Public Eye Podcast, a six-part series of podcasts brought to you by Granite Exchange. I'm your host, Sarah Travers, and today we are continuing our discussions with local Newry entrepreneurs and business owners to learn more about how these companies have come to be and gain an insight into their growth. So remember to keep an eye out on your favourite podcast app and subscribe to stay up to date with future episodes. Well, today I am delighted to be joined by Claire Vallelie, Managing Director of Cocoon Rugs. Claire, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Sarah. Glad to be here. So before we begin, I'm going to tell people a little bit about Cocoon Rugs if they don't know. But when it comes to the rug trade, County Armagh siblings, Claire and her brother Paul, have it covered. Having watched their father sell rugs at market stalls, the pair embarked on a homespun business venture selling clearance lines on eBay. A previous attempt to flog ornaments, gifts and toys had proved futile. But surprisingly for the brother and sister team, the rugs had the magic touch. And after gathering up enough money to travel to Belgium, Paul and Claire made contacts with factories and started ordering directly. So they bought their first container in 2007 of clearance rugs for €35,000, £28,000 sterling, selling them on to satisfied customers. So satisfied, in fact, that within six months, they had made £70,000, with half of the lines still in the container. So the siblings started out from a shed adjacent to their parents' house in Newry. In 2014, they opened their first retail store at Carnbain Industrial Estate in Newry. And in 2017, they opened their second store at Boucher Crescent in Belfast. They were roughly shipping now around 300,000 rugs across the world. Although these numbers look set to be much higher because online during the pandemic, people have been really wanting to turn their homes into their palaces and they have been purchasing all sorts of furnishings and thankfully rugs have been selling like hotcakes. They currently have 40 employees with seven new starts uh, on the books recently and more jobs to come. So what a success story and who knew Claire that rugs would be where you would make your fortune. So just take us back a little bit. Um, what was your, was your father gave you the idea about selling rugs? Uh, indirectly, Sarah, yes, it was. Um, as you mentioned, we had started out selling ornaments and giftware and the original idea for online actually came from a trip to London with an uncle of ours. We had went to see a football match and he had seen this online selling course. I think it was how to sell on eBay and had asked if we would like to go along to it. And we said, of course. And at that point, I was, um, I think I was in first year in college studying to be a chartered surveyor and Paul had just finished his degree in Queen's in business management and had returned from a year in Canada. So we hadn't any real solid plans for what we were going to do. And after we'd went to that eBay course, we were intrigued by this world of online selling. And we'd come from a background of going to markets with our dad um, for years. And we knew that was a pretty tough life and probably not something we were overly keen to continue on with. And we decided we'd try to sell um, some giftware and ornaments that actually came from a shop that our parents had in the early 90s. It was stock that was left over and it did sell for us, but we had no future with it because we couldn't buy it anywhere. It was stock that was 10 years old at that point. And then 
we decided we wanted to continue with online sales. We just needed to find the product. Um, rugs, initially we were like, nobody's going to buy these online. You need to go into a shop and feel them and see them in person. But we decided that we'd give it a go. And our dad very kindly gave us a couple of the rugs that he just couldn't sell in the market. So they wouldn't have been the most ideal items at the time. But to our surprise and delight, they sold. No problem at all. Unbelievable. And then take us back to 2007 then. So you, you had to find... 35,000 euro, which I'm sure when you were starting out was a heck of a lot of money, um, but it totally paid off. Where did How did you raise the funds in the first place? Well, we had been selling rugs that we were buying locally from wholesalers for about six months prior to that. And that was working fine for us, but there was probably too many people involved in the process that were trying to get a profit. And we knew that if we could go direct to source we'd end up with the product that we wanted and we'd be able to sell it at a cheaper price to the customer and ultimately there'd be more profit in it for us. And we didn't really know how to do it. We had actually went to a trade show in Germany in the January and we were very naive. We had went there, we got onto the stands, we were asking us for business cards and um, we hadn't even thought about business cards, never mind actually had them printed and with us. So our naivety shone through and we'd actually met a couple of the local wholesalers we had been buying from and they were telling us scare stories about how it was a minimum orders of five, six, 40 foot containers from manufacturers. That's all they would entertain. And I think we left the show a bit disheartened and thinking, no, this is, we can't afford any of that. We don't know how to do it. And we plodded on for a few months still buying in stock from the local wholesalers and then selling that on and we gathered basically every penny we could through that and the container we ended up buying as I said was a clearance container so it was going relatively cheap and I think they'd give us relatively good payment terms as well which is unusual for that time they didn't know us but we had a few months maybe to pay that back and luckily um, the product sold very well. And where are you selling these rugs? Where where was the custom coming from? At that time, it was eBay. So uh-huh. that's the only platform we had for sales. Now, I think from memory, our dad maybe had taken a few of them to the market, but he couldn't really sell them. They weren't a, a product suitable to the local market. Here. Isn't that strange? Because you would think with a rug, it would be a tactile thing, a purchase of a rug. You want to go and see it and touch it or whatever, but no. Yeah. And I think that's it's become even more prominent now that people trust the online systems. And probably back then it was lack of choice. People were buying online because they maybe didn't have good local retail stores or they just didn't know, they couldn't find what they were looking for. And to be fair, most of our customers were in England. And I think they were much more used to online shopping back in 2006. The idea here was still very novel and we didn't sell very much here at all. It was mostly to England. I mean, it was so fortuitous of you to have gone on that course as well about learning how to sell on eBay because back in 2007, a lot of us wouldn't have had a clue. And now, look, especially because of COVID and the pandemic, everybody is suddenly having to learn how to sell online or put their their goods, whether they had a shop or they have products and they had to sell online. So you're kind of way ahead of the curve here. And I think that was it for us. We were early adopters, unbeknownst to us. I can't claim that we had a great business idea and we always wanted to sell rugs online. It happened very organically. And I think both myself and Paul knew that we wanted to work for ourselves. We wanted that flexibility and freedom. We came from a retail background. Our our parents had always sold things, essentially, in one way or another. And 
that's what we understood. We knew how to please customers and we knew how to stock products. The two really came together and aligned naturally at the right time for us. And we were very lucky. We were I was nineteen, Paul was only twenty three, so we had no financial commitments, we had no mortgages, we had no children, you know, the world was our oyster really. So we could take those risks that I think are probably a lot more challenging for people when they're having to leave an established career or they have a lot of responsibilities at home. And um, it was a different path for us, but uh, we worked hard at it and we continue to work hard. I would, I would like to say it's got a lot easier, but it's got a lot harder, I think. Competition, it's got more fierce and it's great to see so many people coming online, but obviously that presents challenges for us as well. So talk us through what happened then. So you've um, had this incredible first sale of the of the clearance lines. Um, you've now got 40 employees. What happened between then and now? How did you get to that stage? Who was the first person that you took on? Um, the first person we took on was somebody to help us with dispatch, really. And I think that was in late 2008. And it's something myself and Paul would have said quite often since then. We left it too long. Um, to I'll take on the first employee? Yeah, oh. yeah, it was, um, we were in the... We were in the front line, essentially, and we were probably hiding out there a wee bit in terms of we were doing all of the packing and answering the customer emails and the messages and we were buying the rugs and getting them delivered ourselves. You know, we were doing everything and we probably weren't really looking strategically at the growth of the business or how we were going to scale this up. Um, the first person we took on was somebody to help with dispatch and I think probably our first five or six staff members were all in around dispatch roles and warehousing roles and that really allowed me and Paul then to take a step back and focus more on product and sales channels and how we could scale the whole business up. And how did you get the advice to know how to scale up? Because a lot of startup businesses, they have the idea, but it's it's really that, that business knowledge that they lack, um, especially when you want to grow. What did you do? I think a lot of it came from trial and error. Now, we did attend a lot of local business conferences and invest in I, um, talks and things like that. But a lot of it came from making mistakes and trying different products and different channels and just feeling our way through it. Um, we made a lot of mistakes along the way. But I would say probably talking to other businesses. Unfortunately for us at that time, there weren't too many businesses in similar areas in terms of e-commerce. We would have been among the first, certainly in the local area. But there were a couple of other contacts that we had from different areas in Northern Ireland and we would have formed maybe chat groups or email groups and we would have stayed in contact with each other and just sort of talked about experiences with couriers and how you went about importing products in, exporting products out and building that knowledge up. And actually, it's still much the same today. So while there are a lot more organisations out there to help e-commerce businesses, a lot of our genuine information that we use come from other businesses and having good contacts. This podcast is sponsored by Granite Exchange. Do you need an office or a meeting room space? Granite Exchange is the ultimate serviced office and meeting room facility. Located in the heart of Newry City, it is perfectly placed between Belfast and Dublin. Each office suite is fully furnished and comes with an all-inclusive monthly fee with no long-term contract. All you have to do is show up and switch on. The rest is taken care of. For more information, call 028 3044 2500 or visit www.granite-exchange.com. 
And the other employees that you, you've taken on now too, I suppose um, you were telling me before we came on air that you've um, actually taken on seven extra members of staff during the pandemic because business has been so good. The yeah. company has just grown and grown and is still growing. Yeah, it's very exciting times for us overall. Again, we've expanded the warehouse role roles. We have a lot more people working in dispatch and just processing the increased volume through the business. But we also have a couple of new roles along the lines of social marketing and sales creation roles as well, which is an exciting one for us. So we, we have somebody now working entirely on our social media accounts and are working directly with influencers, which probably in truth is well beyond mine and Paul's expertise, but we can see the direct impact it's having on the business already. And we've been working hard for the last couple of years to really build a brand. And that brand's quite well known locally, but trying to get that brand message out across wider markets. And about 30% of our entire turnover comes from outside of the UK and Ireland. So we're still learning about how we get that brand message out there throughout Europe and through the US as well. And for us, ultimately, it's social media. So a lot of the job creation roles have been around that. But it's also very important to have a great culture. And I think you're being very modest here, Claire, because I believe that Cocoon are very much known as a company who look after their people. That's really important to you. It is, Sarah, definitely. That has been the fundamental of our business success, has been the teams of people around us right throughout the business. Um, it's something we're very passionate about. We've passed off maybe key employees in the past who would have been fantastic in a role, but they weren't really a culture fit with the company and have thought long and hard about those decisions, but ultimately decided the strength of our team is one of our USPs. And we have a great team of problem solvers. You know, everybody is passionate about the company and passionate about their job roles. And a couple of years ago, we actually adopted what would be known in the manufacturing industry more so as lean principles. We prefer to consider it as continuous improvement, where we try to give employees um, a bit of time every day. COVID has changed it somewhat because we have a lot of people working from home now. But prior to COVID, it had been up to an hour a day to make improvements in their own job roles. And we're quite open about financing that and giving people the freedom to do what they want to improve. Why is that so important to you? I think that's how you survive. You know, things, as we've seen in the last six months, change so rapidly. And once a business gets to a certain stage, it, it becomes beyond your control if almost you know you can't be a touch point on every decision in the business and the only way is to have a team of people around you who feel empowered to make their own decisions and to do the right thing for the company and as long as they feel genuinely invested in and that you care about them and that you're trying for everybody to grow together in the business well then we have found it takes a lot of time and financial investment to get that far and for a lot of companies, it's too big of a step. You know, they, they can't give an hour a day over for employees to improve processes. You know, they need them working every hour of the day, nor are they willing to maybe put the financial investment in to see people make mistakes or do things wrong. But the longer tail of it, we have found that people become problem solvers. If something goes wrong, they look for a fix. They look for a way around it. They look for a way to improve it. And that has meant that we've seen dramatically increased volumes say, during lockdown and instead of everybody just panicking and not being able to cope with it immediately we had people going right how are we going to cope with this what are we going to do what systems can we put in place and I think that's come from several years of this continuous improvement 
um, mentality within the company where you, we just don't accept, right, that doesn't work. You know, the process takes too long. Like, there's no... It's or it's not like a command and control mentality. You are not micromanaging. You have allowed people to progress through this personal investment. So they do find solutions for you, which is ultimately fantastic. But how how much more difficult is it to manage your staff um, remotely? I mean, what were your feelings at the start of lockdown when it came to, goodness, how, because I heard you were doing all sorts of crazy, fun, lovely things for your team all the time. So give us an example of, of some of, of the way it was before lockdown and then how things have changed to managing remotely. Well, every day prior to lockdown, we would have had a 30 minute company meeting in the morning and that normally would have involved team games and quizzes and it was up whoever was taking the meeting, it was up to them what they'd done. And a lot of that now, obviously, we have to have socially distanced version of that. We can't get in a huddle for quizzes and all. So plus a third of our staff at any one time are working from home. So we just don't have that touch point every day. And I think that's been quite problematic to get around because the company culture is so important to us. And is that um, for the employees or for you? Is it harder to be, you know, in control <laughs> of a company when when your 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 employees are are all over the place? No, I think I feared at the start that it probably would have been. And that's something we initially thought, like, how are we going to manage everybody and how are we going to keep everybody up to speed with what they should be doing? But as I said to you, because it's a team of problem solvers and the continuous improvement, everybody adopted different systems to help that along. So a lot of the systems we maybe had that were um, in person or they were on whiteboards or they were in different locations within the business, we took them online. Have there been any pluses? You know, the, uh, I've been talking to a lot of people uh, during this time and, you know, there have definitely been opportunities and, and new ways to work that have been beneficial. Uh, there certainly has. I think we have a few people who are maybe commuting longer distances to work with us and for them probably personally not having to do that commute has been very rewarding. So there's maybe been a renewal of energy I would say it's it took people maybe a couple of months to get used to it and get their heads around how do we do this exactly but I think people are recommitted now they're they're hoping in the future that this can become part of their working life. Now you're roughly you were before uh, around the start of lockdown shipping 300,000 rugs was that a year annually. What do you think those figures could be now? We'll have to see what quarter four brings, but it's looking quite promising. The online retail environment has exploded in the last couple of months. And I think maybe where people were spending money on foreign holidays and summer clothes for holidays, you know, we're not traditionally very good at saving money. So I think that expenditure in a lot of cases will go on home improvements and Christmas decorations inevitably. So we'd be hoping for a very strong Q4 and tentatively we, th we think those growth levels will continue. There's now a whole bank of people shopping online, especially for things like rugs who just weren't before. You know, they were predominantly in-store shoppers. But they've now seen that actually this can work. You can buy online. If you're not happy with it, you can return it. Um, pictures and videos and descriptions now are so advanced that people seem to have got a lot more confidence so we would be hopeful that going forward the, the growth we've seen will continue. And do you ever pinch yourself at, at where you've come because I know at the start of the interview there you said that you know you'd started out you were going to be a surveyor <laughs> and now you know you're the co-founder of this hugely successful company do you ever think how did this happen? 
Uh, quite a lot, actually. Yeah, we had um, we have a lot to thank our parents for. Both our mum and dad's been inspirational and a massive part of our success. And um, unfortunately, our dad passed away a couple of years ago from cancer, so he's not with us to really enjoy the success we're seeing now. But he would have been very proud of us. But he was also a realist and very, very capable of offering criticism where needed. But that always kept our feet on the ground. I think. Um, the same with her mum. She is an accountant and she's had a lot of experience over the years working with different businesses and she's always able to tell us about businesses she's seen in the past who have done very well, maybe made a couple of wrong decisions and have seen the business um, maybe fall back a bit over a few years. So we do remind ourselves often that we're only as good as the decisions that we make right now in the present. and. Well, we don't take it for granted. Like we are very proud of the business that we've built and the people that we have working in the business. And I suppose it, it is hard to believe it's come it's come this far. Like I think when we started, we didn't truly believe ourselves, um, that we were going to make it in rugs. I think we hoped that we'd be able to do something, but I don't know if we really believed it would be the success that it's turned out to be. Um, I think going into second year in college, I had wanted to quit. I wanted to completely leave college and focus full time on the business, but my mum and dad weren't overly keen <laughs> on that idea. So I would suggest that they probably didn't fully believe either that we could make a real go of it. And I did stay on in college and I'm, I'm very glad that I did. But um, I know our mum would say it quite often, like it's it's unreal sort of to, to look at the business that we have now and the, the premises that we have in Yuri and all were unimaginable to us in the first few years of the business when it was just a shed beside our home. Mm. Unbelievable. And family is hugely important to you, obviously. And I, I, I know, I mean, I'm very sorry to hear about your, about your dad, but I know that you're, you're very close to your mum still and, and, and look after and appreciate everything that she's done to help you and Paul get to where you are in your lives. I have to ask, what is it like running a business with your brother? I'm thinking I have one sister and I don't know whether we, I don't know whether we could actually manage to run a business together. What's that like? It's it's overall very enjoyable, but it definitely has its challenges. There's no doubt about that. I think a lot of people probably wonder about sibling relationships and could they do it with their own brother or sister. Um, myself and Paul were always very close. There was only the two of us um, growing up and we come from a very rural area. So as children, we would have played together a lot. And I think it, unbeknownst to us, obviously, it was in those formative years we were learning how to work together and make decisions together and fall out plenty but make it up and get on with things because there weren't other siblings to play with or you, you just had to get on with each other and we're quite different people but we do work together well and we bring different skill sets to the table. So and tell us what, what what way are you and then what way is Paul? What do you both bring? What's different? Um, I suppose Paul would be quite good on the operational side of the business. My skill set would be maybe more on the sales side of it or on the product side of it. So in terms of our personalities, um, Paul would be very, very good, I suppose, on the at the front of the business as the speaker for the business. I would usually prefer in the back seat, although not this time. No. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I suppose it's that different personality as well that helps us in the company. You know, I think people who come to us for different things or with different questions and I think most of the people that work with us are very appreciative of our different personalities. If it was just one of us leading the company, I think it would probably be a very different company and not for the better. Now, you've also um, become a mum yourself over the last year to twin boys. And I always hate this, you know, people say, oh, why do you always ask women? How do they balance, you know, children and business? And why would you never ask a man that? I actually would and I will. But um, 
you know, how, how do you cope? How has becoming a mum and running a business, how, how has that been for you? Challenging, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, wasn't the the easiest start for the boys. It came nine weeks early, so they spent a couple of months in the NICU. Wow. And again, this is where the great thing is with running a business with your brother, and then the fantastic team of people that we have around us allowed me to pretty much step out of the business for those couple of months and focus entirely on the boys, and then come back to the business stronger than ever. Um, it's the same challenges I think as it is for everybody else. You're sort of you know, you're looking at childcare and feeling guilty if you're not spending enough time with them, feeling guilty you're not spending enough time with work. And uh, what I'm told that doesn't ever get better. Oh, that continues <laughs> through the course of your working life and with your children. But it's it's a balancing act. And for me, this is one of the big benefits of working for yourself. And why, no matter what the challenges of being self-employed are. The flexibility that it offers you is invaluable. Like I know that you have to commit a lot of time. It's still 50, 60 hours a week at times when it's needed. But I know ultimately that if I want to be able to take a half day to go to something or be with the child for something, I'm going to have that option in the future. And I think that's probably how I reconcile having to maybe go back to work very quick or not having the kind of maternity leave that you would like to have. But I certainly wouldn't complain about it. You know, it's... It's again actually working from home in some ways has been nice because I have been able to spend a wee bit more time and you're not running to the crash to pick them up and drop them off and things like that. So that's been quite enjoyable. So being self-employed, you would never change that. You would never change running your own business. You could never go and work for anyone else. No, <laughs> not <laughs> in a word. Not at that. Not at this stage. No. Um, it's not to say that it's always easy. There's definitely weeks and at times in the past months where. It's been too challenging where, you know, it, it has been too hard. Where maybe sales have fallen way back and we just don't know what to do. Or maybe we've had issues with, we've had problems in the past, say, with the building that we've been in, which has been quite challenging. Or um, the odd employee issue that have been particularly confronting. But I think once you, once you are self-employed, once you go down that route where you get to make your own decisions and sort of be the author of your own destiny, really, for good and for, for bad, you can't go back from that. And I think me and Paul would say probably quite often we're, we're unemployable at this stage, so we'd better make this work. <laughs> and how important is self-care to you? Do you get any time to yourself at all, Claire? Uh, no. <laughs> no, there's definitely... In a word. <laughs> yeah, there's there's no other answer to that. Um, no, I don't really, I suppose, find time to myself very important at the minute and I know in time I'd, I will but I suppose life's just so hectic at the minute that like we've experienced such growth within the business and the boys just recently turned one so home life is very busy as well and I think I've just accepted that there isn't going to be time for myself for, for a few years yet and I'm perfectly okay with that yeah. um, but I do think it's important to take a bit of time out I love my exercise I love running and when I did did go to the gym, I enjoyed that as well. That's taken a bit of a back seat, unfortunately, at the minute as well. But for me, I suppose that's my time out in my self-care is just making sure that I get my exercise in every day and it's a bit of an escape from, from work and babies as well. So you can't beat a run and it's free and if you have a pair of trainers, you can... You can always get out for 20 minutes and yeah. clear the head. Now, the purpose, Claire, of this podcast is to inspire existing business owners and ambitious entrepreneurs like yourself to grow their business by, I suppose, offering insight into the success of local Newry companies like your own. But what advice would you give to anyone out there listening that perhaps maybe has a business idea like you had all those years ago, but they don't know where to start? 
just get stuck in, try something. It's There's so many opportunities out there at the moment in terms of places to sell your product. People out there are willing to support business ideas between Invest NI and Intertrade Ireland that if you really don't know how, where to even start, they're great places to go to for advice. In terms of if it's a product that you have to sell, um, cost of setting up your own website and all it can be quite onerous but there are other channels out there between ebay and amazon etsy not in the high street there's a lot of places with already custom-made audiences sitting there and they're open to everybody you just need to go and investigate it and get started and i think there's a saying we say here quite often which i find quite infuriating which is if it's for you it won't go past you and i think that nearly absolves people of their own self-responsibility and going after their goals when it, and the truth is that if it, it will go past you like if you don't go out there and take a stab at it or if you have something in mind you'd like to do or a dream or a business you'd like to start if you try it and it fails you aren't going to be any worse off than you are today and you won't have that nag and doubt about well what if what if and there is no better time. I think people constantly say, well, maybe next year or we're coming into a recession or there's a pandemic or this is the perfect time to start to do something different. Everything's in some kind of upheaval and the entire retail world, as we know, it's changing daily. And I think now, particularly if it's a product that you have in mind, it's the perfect time to start selling, to start trying online. I think another few years, the markets will be completely swamped and it'll be a lot harder then. So why not now? Claire Vallely, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. Um, it's been a real pleasure to find out more about Cocoon Rugs and indeed about you. So join me for the next episode where I will be meeting Celine Grant from Regen. Have a great day. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.